tonight about um, the ministry gifts. <clears throat> we talk, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit the past few Sundays, and, and along with that, we obviously will end up talking about the gifts of the Spirit, tongues, interpretation, healings, miracles, faith, and so on. And uh, we'll do that in a, in a Sunday or two. We'll talk about those and, uh, and just pray that God will stir that up. You know, there's the, you know, the Bible, sometimes people ask, you know, why don't we see some of the miraculous today like we used to? And there's, uh, you know, in the church world today. And there's a lot of reasons why. But one reason we don't see the gifts of the Spirit operating the way we should in the way the New Testament designs is simply because uh, we have to keep that stirred up. I mean, that's what Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that is inside of you. And so we're going to talk about that in a couple of Sundays. But I want to talk to you about a different category of spiritual gifts, ministry gifts specifically tonight, because uh, God has, a, has a, an order, a, a divine order for His church. Amen? And, and so if we want the church world, if in, the church at large, to operate biblically, uh, it has to be done God's way. And in that, there's a lot of flexibility as far as government is concerned, you know, and different, different models and different things. But there is a spiritual element that needs to all be in place in order for God to be able to move the way He wants to move. And so I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you about that tonight. Since, you know, as, as the core group here, I want us to spend a little time teaching through this. Um, and then we'll talk about the, uh, the other gifts on a Sunday morning. Uh, Miss Carolyn uh, came across this this week, and uh, <clears throat> you know it, it's funny. This is from 2007, October 21st, 2007. It was when we, as a church, celebrated our 30th anniversary, and so uh, so we actually somehow missed it two years ago. We missed celebrating our 40th anniversary, so we're going to have to make up for that in eight years when we hit our 50th. Uh, we're going to have to really go big, uh, you know, for, for the 50th. But uh, anyway, so, uh, so we were celebrating the 30th anniversary of the church. And, uh, and some of you that are newer may not know some of this. And in fact, I was just thinking in our membership banquet Sunday night, I'm probably going to talk a little bit about some of this. But our first service was held in 1977. Uh, I believe it was late in the year from the records that we've seen. And it was held in Burton Carolyn's living room. And uh, the church was originally organized under the name of North Bibb Assembly of God, and uh, Joseph Waslick was the founding pastor. Uh, Thirteen uh, members were, uh, were the charter members of this church, and was Miss Mary one of those charter members, or did she come a little bit later? She wasn't, okay. So, uh, so you, you two are the only surviving members. She was. I didn't know that. Okay. So some of you know Anzel Dennis. She's a charter member. So, um, so then we moved to Hickman Chapel later that year. Uh, the current property, the, three, the original three acres here, was, built, was purchased in 1978. Uh, then uh, this, this building, the main part of this building, was built in 1980. Uh, I I'm, think I'm the eighth pastor in our history. And uh, in 1999, this building was expanded to add the foyer, and this, the sanctuary was expanded. Uh, and then in 2003, that's the year I came, by the way, in 1999. And in 2003, we built the other building. Uh, and then, of course, last year we purchased this additional property. And so, you know, we look back over the last uh, 40 years, and, you know, sometimes we, we overestimate 
what God's going to do in an instant, and we underestimate what God will do over a stretch of time. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> and so, uh, so, so it's, it's really interesting to me to look back over our church history and, and look at where God's brought us from, and then to see that we're at this sort of pivotal moment right now with the changes going on in our community that uh, probably in the next couple of years, we won't look very much like we look now. You know, as far as our facilities and even our congregation is concerned, uh, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of influx of people and, and different things going on. And so I say all that to say this, that one of the reasons I believe that we've been able to endure is because of good structure. You know, if a house is not built on a good foundation... It, won't, it may look pretty, but it's not going to stand. And, and so in the same way, the church has to be built upon some spiritual foundations. And obviously, obviously, the foundation is Christ. We understand that. And obviously, the church at large is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, as Scripture says. But I'm talking about the local church. There are some spiritual foundations that must be established in the function of of every local church in order for it to be healthy and in order for God to be able to move as He desires to move. So I want to unpack that a little bit tonight and talk about some of the ministry gifts that He's given to the church. Um, And so we have to understand what the purpose of the church is, first of all. The purpose of the church is not just so that we can come together and build relationships with one another. That's that's a part of it, but it's not the main purpose. That is a sub-purpose that helps facilitate the big purpose. The big purpose is to make disciples, right? That is the reason we exist, to make disciples. Disciples that obey Christ, that worship Christ, that reproduce themselves and others. And so everything we do must help facilitate and accomplish that purpose. And so then... What are the ministry gifts for? And when I'm saying ministry gifts, I'm talking about the fivefold ministry. And that is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The purpose of the fivefold ministry is not just to, like, what is the purpose of an evangelist? Oh, an evangelist is one of those guys, big preachers, that come through and they're loud and they get people all excited and stirred up and then they blow out, you know. Uh, usually leaving them a mess for the pastor to clean up behind them. No, that's not, <laughs> that's not the biblical definition of an evangelist. An evangelist, and we'll get into this, but then an evangelist is one who is called to lead unbelievers to Christ, and that is his primary focus. And so understand that, that um, the, the, the gifts are not given just to get us stirred up. They're given to us to build us up. And to equip us. So let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and here is God's, part of God's design for the local church. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Uh, King James says works of ministry. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ." 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, so let's dig into this a little bit. First of all, God has given the ministry gifts in order to help the church fulfill its purpose. Uh, now understand this. The fivefold ministry, and let's talk about pastors, for example. The pastor... The, the ministry role of the pastor is a gift from Jesus to the church. The gift of the apostle is a gift from Jesus to the church. Now, it's sad that many churches treat these gifts as if they're curses. And in fact, I was I heard about a church recently where the pastor was fired. And would you like to know the reason he was fired? Was it because, he had, because of infidelity, because he had an affair with the church secretary? No. Was it because he was teaching heresy? No. Was, was he stealing money? No. He wasn't calling every member of the church once a month. And they fired him for it. Now, understand this. that, And thank God for, for pastoral care. But that's not the role of the pastor. That's not to say that the pastor should be distant or aloof or that he doesn't like his sheep. If, you know, if, we, if he didn't like that, no, no shepherd is going to lay down his life for sheep he doesn't like. Uh, I, I, get, I get a little frustrated sometimes, and I used to joke about this too, and people say this jokingly, but, but I, I don't like to hear people say, you know, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. You know? And they say that jokingly, but you understand, ministry is all about the people. Amen. The people matter to God, and the people are not pawns to build your empire. The people are the reason you exist in the ministry. Come on, somebody, say amen. amen. And, so, and so we have to understand, though, that the biblical purpose of the pastor is not to coddle saints, entertain saints, or to make saints feel good about themselves. That's what a chaplain does, okay? That, that's a social gathering that, that does that. That's not the pastoral role. And that's not the role of any of the other ministry gifts. So let's, let's talk about what do these five ministry gifts do. Well, the first one is the apostle. Now let me just say this. There are apostles today. And there are prophets today. Come on now. Uh, if, you have to, if you have somebody telling you that they are apostle so-and-so or prophet so-and-so, if they're throwing that title around, I would be very suspicious as to whether or not they are truly an apostle or prophet. If they have to announce to you that they are that, chances are they are not that. It's like the person that has to constantly remind people, I'm the boss around here. If you've got to tell people you're the boss, you're not the boss. And so, you know, they should, people should assume that when somebody gets up in the pulpit each Sunday that that person is the pastor, right? And so, so you don't have to announce the fact, oh, I am apostle so-and-so. And they treat that like it's a hierarchy, like the apostle is the highest of all and they overshadow everybody else. That is simply not true. But having said that, there are apostles today. Most of them we call missionaries. That's right. Come on. The term missionary is not a biblical term. It's nothing wrong with it, but it's not biblical, okay? It's not demonic. It's just, it's a word we've adopted. And so uh, the apostle, the word apostle literally means sent one. The apostle goes in and breaks down, breaks, uh, breaks into new territory. 
They go where others have not gone before to establish. If you watch the Apostle Paul's ministry throughout the New Testament, he goes in, he establishes a church, he trains up leaders, he puts them in place, and then he moves on. That's what an apostle does. And so if we look at the fivefold ministry, it's like the five fingers on the hand. The apostle is like the thumb because the apostle touches the other four, just like the thumb does. You can't hardly, I mean, you might could barely touch the pointer finger to the pinky, but just barely, but the thumb can touch everything. It's opposable to everything else. Well, the apostle touches all four other areas and the, and the thumb is thicker than the rest of the fingers, and the apostle is generally a lot more thicker skinned than the other four ministry gifts. They're wired that way because they have to be. They are on the front lines in spiritual warfare. And so the apostle uh, is sent forth, he's called forth, and he goes in and he establishes new works. And then there's the prophet, and we do have prophets today. Uh, now, just because someone prophesies in a service does not make them a prophet. Uh, but there is an, a ministry office of prophet, and that would be the index finger. Uh, the prophet is one who points. The one, he, he points the direction, he points out error, uh, error and, and, and he, he has this way of speaking directly from the heart of God. Now, a, a person in the, in the biblical role of a prophet doesn't just go around prophesying. They do have the gift of prophecy, obviously, but the prophet... The prophet was the one that would speak to kings in the Old Testament. They would become the conscience of the nation. They would be the ones that would call out the king when he was wrong and that would bring a word from the Lord to the king as he was leading in the, in the nation. And so the, there's a prophetic mantle that, uh, that, comes up, that, that comes upon leaders to be able to speak to the direction of nations, to the direction of the church, to call out hypocrisy, to, to call out uh, apostasy in the church. And so they're usually calling people to repentance, calling the church to, and nations to repentance. Um, so in, in the Old Testament, the prophet was the only one who had the Holy Spirit on him to minister. So he had to tell people what to do. In the, in the Old Testament, the prophet spoke, and this is a theological term, ex cathedra. What does that mean? It means directly from the mouth of God. In other words, if the apostle spoke, it had the same weight as the word of God, the written word of God. And that is why that if a prophet gave a false prophecy in the Old Testament, they were to be stoned to death. Because if they were giving false prophecies, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And so in the New Testament now, the role of the prophet's a little bit different because all believers have the Holy Spirit now, right? We, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us when we're born again, and so each believer can hear from God. So you do not, listen, and hear me, please hear me very carefully. You do not need a prophet to tell you who to marry. You do not need a prophet to tell you where to invest your money. You don't need to go and consult with a prophet before you make life decisions. That reduces them to fortune tellers. In fact, there, there are people in fortune telling that are just doing it as, by gimmicks, like a magician on a stage. But there are some that, that are demonically inspired, and that is the, the satanic counterfeit of the biblical gift of prophecy. And so you do not need a prophet to, uh, 
uh, to, 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 to justify or lead you in every little thing you do. When a prophet speaks to you today, there will be some direction involved, but it's to make us more aware of spiritual things, to prepare us for what God has in, for, has in front of us. Um, mostly, prophetic ministry brings confirmation and consecration. It is to drive you into the will of God. And sometimes... And listen, and I'm speaking, if you've been around charismatic churches or Pentecost churches for very long, you know that when someone with a quote-unquote prophetic ministry comes through, they're always prophesying blessings, they're always prophesying increase and all this stuff. If you read the Bible, you will find that most of the time, even in the New Testament, when the prophets speak, they weren't just prophesying about blessings, that God's going to give you increase. In fact, when, when Agabus prophesied over Paul, he took his own belt and bound Paul up in it and said, in this manner will you be bound when you go to Rome and warned him about what was going to happen. Well, that's not living my best life now. Right? Let me say, that's not living my best life now. Y'all get that? You know what I'm referring to? Okay. All right. So, uh, so... So what, what the prophecy was for was to prepare Paul so that he would stay in the will of God even when it seemed like everything was going against him. That's the role of a prophet. Now, they will prophesy blessings. Don't misunderstand me. But that's just not all they'll prophesy. Because God does want to bless you. But God also wants you to be willing to suffer for his name if that's what he's called you to. So, the prophet, pointer finger. So you can guess which one the evangelist is. I'm not going to physically demonstrate it for you. But the middle finger could be the evangelist because the evangelist reaches out farther than the rest. The evangelist have, have, has an ability to gather people around him or her. They don't have the gift to develop people. Okay, An evangelist will draw a crowd, and that's what they're supposed to do. That's their gifting. An evangelist will, will lead people to Christ, and that's exactly what they're called to do. They're called to preach to new people. I uh, read the story about an evangelist who started a church in Tulsa, and in a very short time, it exploded to a thousand people. And, and, and if you know anything about Tulsa, Tulsa is a church-saturated city anyway. And so, you know, you're competing with all, you know, you're competing with ORU and Rama and all these other churches over there. Victory Christian Center and all those. It, it exploded to a thousand members. Two years later, it wasn't even there. Why? Because the evangelist that started the church had a gift to gather people. And he could get them saved. He just couldn't grow them up. Now, I'm not saying that God won't ever call an evangelist to pastor. I mean, Pat Shatzlon Jr. started a church in, in Birmingham that's still going strong today, but he only stayed for a while, and then he turned it over to somebody he had developed who's pastoring it now. And so if, a, if, so, if God calls an evangelist to pastor, and he doesn't have a pastoral gift, then he needs to surround himself with leaders that have a pastoral gift, right? And so they'll win the lost, but he's got to be sure he has people in there to place them. This is why, this, by the way, this is why crusades don't work if the evangelist doesn't work with the local pastors in the city. When Billy Graham would go into a new city, 
He would have prayer teams go ahead of him. They would coordinate with area pastors. And every person that filled out a card that they committed their life to Christ would be referred to a local pastor. The local pastor would call on them and try to get them connected into that local church so that they could be discipled. This is what the way the, the fivefold ministry all works together. So the evangelist reaches out further than the rest and gathers people. <clears throat> the pastor is the ring finger because he's married to the church. He or she is married to the church. Now think about what this means. When you marry somebody, when you're dating somebody, you put your best self forward. You know, you wash up and you fix up and get your nicest clothes on. But once you get married, you know what they look like at 5 a.m. You know what they look like with rollers in their hair and bad breath when they get up in the morning. Come on, somebody. Right? They see the best and they see the worst. And in the same way, and by the way, he loves them anyway, right? And so... In the same way, the pastor sees the, sees the sides of Christians that few others get to see. And the pastor, by his gift, his or her gifting, has a patience and a love that enables them to walk with the church through that, through the best of times and the worst of times, for richer, for poorer, till death do they part, right? And so, and so the pastor is, is, has this connection to the church that none of the other fivefold ministry has. And then... There is the pinky, which is the teacher. The teacher is the only one that can get into the little places, right? And so the, 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 the teacher gets into the small parts and breaks down the word and, 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 and takes it all apart and puts it back together in a way that it all makes sense. Isn't that what the teacher does? And so... So it's, it's, it's interesting, if you watch an evangelist that, that doesn't have any kind of a teaching gift... They, they, they preach, and it just, whoo, and God moves. But if you try to write down what they were saying, the content will fit in just a couple of paragraphs. Now, that's not a, that's not a, a, a criticism. That's the way God's wired them. Um, the teacher, you're going to write pages and pages and pages of notes. Now, what's interesting is that the pinky will not work by itself. Have you ever noticed this? The pinky only works in tandem with the ring finger. And so you have to, in order for the teacher to be in its proper place, it's working with the ring finger. Isn't this cool how God designed all this? And so, and so you, in fact, some scholars say that pastor and teacher in this verse really should be pastor slash teacher. That it should, it's, it's two parts of one thing. I don't really have an opinion on that, but it's, it's at least two aspects of the pastoral role. Uh, I do believe that you can be a teacher without being a pastor. I'm not sure you can be a pastor without being a teacher. And so, uh, because the, pre the pastor is not called just to stir people up, he's called to grow them up. And so, and so the teacher then, as, and, and that's my gifting as pastor and teacher, and so, so if, I, if I look in an evangelist sermon, and I'm really impressed by how they present, but if I'm trying to analyze, and, and, and you have to understand that when you do this all the time, you're always looking, analyzing how other people do things, because you're trying to improve, or, or either that, or you just got an arrogant attitude, and you're trying to convince yourself you're better than them, one or the other. Um, but but if, I, if I listen to an evangelist, uh, I get really frustrated, because I can't preach that way. I can't think that way. I can't, I can't get up there for 30 minutes and talk about nothing. Now, I know that's not what they're doing, but that's what it feels like to me. 
Because, see, I want to know what the Greek and Hebrew says. I want to know what the original context was and how that does that apply today and what is the epitomology of that word and, 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 what is, you know, and how does all this fit together and how does that apply to our culture. And I've I got to tear it apart and put it back together so that I understand how it works, right? That's, and and that's, that's the gifting of the teacher. That's, now, an evangelist would listen to me and say, my goodness, you're getting bogged down in details. Just talk about Jesus. Right? And you know what? That is okay. That's the way God made us. And we need each other. There's not one that's right. There's just difference in how everything functions. Now, Jesus worked in all of these. And then he gave these gifts out when he ascended into heaven. This is what Ephesians 4 tells us was that he himself, in verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So it's a gift from Jesus. Now, now look at the results. If all five of these ministry gifts are functioning together as they should, the result we read in those following verses, it says that God's people are equipped to do ministry. The word for service and ministry is the same Greek word. Um, that's really what ministry is. We tend to think of ministry as being up on a stage. This is not a stage. We call it this sometimes just out of habit. This is not a stage. It is a platform. What's the difference? A stage is something you perform on. A platform is a position of influence. And so, uh, so we tend to think of ministry as something that happens on a stage, but it's not. It's service. It is service. If a waiter comes and refills your, your water glass today, uh, if you lunch today and they refill your water glass, they're ministering to you. They're serving you. That's the same Greek word. And so in, by, by, by teaching and by preaching and by, uh, by setting the church in order, we are serving one another as we serve Christ. So part of that service then is to equip all of God's people to do the work of the ministry. That's you, right? You are called to do the work of the ministry. Every one of us is. The second thing, the second result is that the body of Christ is built up and strengthened. The body is made strong. And then there's unity where everybody's working together. They're believing together. Everybody is on the same page. There's maturity. Everybody's growing up in Christ. There's stability that one little problem doesn't just wreck everything or some new doctrine comes down to pike and everybody goes chasing after it. And then there's godliness. And, and so, so look at the end result of all of this. In verse 16 of Ephesians 4, uh, it says that, um, that when this all this happens and we grow up and we get stable in Christ, it says, From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So that church that fired their pastor for not visiting everybody, shot themselves in the foot. They were profoundly unbiblical because it was not the pastor's role to go and, and serve as chaplain for everybody. It was their role to care for one another. That's part of every part of the body doing its part. Does that make sense? And so, so our job is not to do the ministry. In the, I'm talking about pastors in the fivefold. Our job is not to do the ministry. Our job is to train up the ministers and equip them and model it for them. Let's look at another passage, a parallel passage. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. 
says, you are, uh, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. So every one of us becomes a member of the body of Christ when we're born again. Whether you join the local church, whether you're a member of New Life or not, when you became a Christian, when you accepted Christ into your life and, and said, Lord, take me, take my life, I give it to you now, you became a member of the church universal, the larger church of Jesus Christ. And so God has placed among us these ministry gifts for our benefit. People say, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Not according to Scripture. Not according to Scripture. According to Scripture, we all need each other. And so God has placed among us these ministry gifts to benefit us. Notice the list. It says, first of all, apostles. Check. We've already talked about that. Prophets. Check. Teachers. Check. But notice, the evangelist and the pastor are not mentioned here. Why? For some reason, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul in this occasion, instead of to list their ministries, Instead, he mentions their functions. So watch this. The evangelist, he mentions healing and miracles. That's in connection to the evangelist. Jesus and Philip were both evangelists, and they both operated in healings and miracles. I believe the biblical pattern for all true evangelists is that they should operate in healings and miracles. Now, I know that there are some that don't. I get that. There's a lot of stuff that should be happening that's not happening. But I believe that if an evangelist is walking in everything God has for him, he will, he will, he, he will have a gift of healing. He will be able to see the, the sick recover. When you look in the New Testament, most of the miracles we see do not happen in the church. They happen on the street. Think about Peter and John. They see the blind man at the gate. I mean, I'm sorry, the lame man at the gate. He says, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you to get up and walk. And the man goes jumping and leaping and dancing and praising God. It happened out in the marketplace. And so I believe that, that an evangelist will have that kind of cutting-edge ministry on the front lines there. Because, see, see healings and gifts, is, we, we've, we've taught it in American churches as, as the, the, uh, the right of every believer. And, and I believe there's truth to that. But it's also a sign to the unbeliever. In other words, it's, not, it's like, okay, well, I'm a Christian now, so I can get healed. Well, yes, yes. James 5 tells us this, that we should call for the elders of the church and have them anoint them with oil, and the Lord will raise them up. And so, yes. But when we see it in practice in the book of Acts, many times it's unbelievers that get healed. Many times it's those just coming to faith they're testing the waters, kicking the tires, if you will. And it's a sign to them. And so when they, when they see the miraculous, the miraculous is meant to be a sign that points people to Jesus. And so the evangelist, I believe, should be operating in these, in these gifts. 
Um, And then, what about the pastor? The pastor is not mentioned in this passage. Well, that is under governments. It talks about here, uh, well, guidance is the word that's used in the NIV. Uh, King James, uses, I believe, uses the word governments. And so uh, the, the, the Greek word means to guide, to pilot, and to steer. That is the role of the pastor. God's people need to be guided. And so that is what the office of the pastor does. But notice, if, if, um, if you look at it in the King James or New King James Version, it's going to be the word governments, plural. God has not designed for all pastors to walk under one central authority, under one central worldwide church government. It's governments, plural. Uh, the, the model of the Catholic Church is not a biblical model where it's all under one pope. Okay? And, and so, um, so sometimes people ask, well, which denomination is the right one? I mean, there are literally hundreds of denominations in the United States. And I don't mean just a couple hundred. I mean hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Some of them are very small. Some of them are larger. The Assemblies of God is... Um, Oh, uh, third or fourth largest in the U.S. I forget the exact statistics. But anyway, we're one of the bigger ones. But so people ask, well, is the Assemblies of God right? Or are the Baptists right? Or are the Methodists right? Which one's right? Well, I don't think that any of us really have a full, perfect grasp on theology. Because that is finite man's attempt, theology is, to wrap its brain around an infinite God. Okay? So we will never arrive completely on theology. So, so, but if we're talking about theology or if we're talking about structure, well, different structures work differently. So I don't think you can say the way we do it is the only way to do it. Um, and so I don't think we can just simply... The, the, the litmus test, is if the church is right or not, is does it believe that Jesus came in the flesh, died physically literally rose from the dead, and is coming back. Do you believe that? Then it's the right church. All the other stuff is secondary. Now, there are some that are wronger than others, right? And so, so it's not just to say, well, it doesn't matter where you go to church, but I'm saying that if you're part of, a, of an organization that has those things down, we are brothers and sisters. So which one's right? Well, that's like saying, is it Walmart or Target that's right? I mean, <clears throat> I can't stand either one of them myself. I don't like shopping in one, and I don't like what the other one does when, in media. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll just go to Aldi then. So, you know, <clears throat> but you can't, just, you, know, you can't just say, well, Walmart is the only true grocery store. Well, it didn't even start as a grocery store. They added that. And so, but they, they do the same thing. It's just a different group of people doing the same thing, and they might do it a little differently, right? Same thing with churches. It's different people doing things differently, but working toward the same goal. So, you know, my Baptist brothers up the road here, we're going to stand side by side in heaven, you know? We're not going to have the AG section and the Baptist section. We're all on the same team. We're just under different signs right now. But all those signs are under the name of Jesus. And so, <clears throat> so we have to understand that, that, that the symbols of God is not the only way. And, and it's a man-made structure, and it's not perfect. And, and the more you get involved in, in the leadership within the symbols of God, you see how imperfect it is because man's involved. 
And so we can't get bogged down in, in organizations like that. And that's not what he's talking about here when he's talking about governments or gifts of guidance. He's talking about that uh, God has set up leaders in all these different locations, you know, that, 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 that God has set up a pastoral leadership here and down the road and, and, and up at Cafe Junction and so on. And, and, and he does this to meet different needs. So there are certain people that, that we can relate to at our church that probably First Baptist won't relate to as well, and vice versa. You know, uh, there are people that, um, and, and I'm not talking about First Baptist in particular, but there are people that have come to our church and so they've gone to other churches. And, and in fact, one young lady, and she's not, she's not here tonight, but she comes just occasionally, but one young lady uh, came and was at our Wednesday night dinner a while back, and she had gone to another church in the general area, I won't say which one, and was actually told that before she came back, she, need, she had to cover up the tattoos on her arm. And it made them uncomfortable. It offended them. And so uh, I'm like, okay, really? You're going to let a little ink stand between this woman and Jesus? Really? Come on. And so anyway, so whether your personal taste for a, a tattoo sleeve is you know, pro or con, that's, that's fine. That's between you and God. I'm not advocating for tattoos. I'm simply saying that doesn't matter. The person matters. And so, so maybe, maybe some of the tattooed crowd will feel, feel a little more comfortable here than they will in some other churches. Then there may be some that like high church better and they want to dress up real nice all the time and, 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 and sing from the hymn book and have the organ and all that. That's fine. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that. But that's not who we are, right? So they'll be more comfortable at another church up the road. And that's fine. We, we didn't lose them. They're still in the kingdom. And we're all going to get to heaven together, right? So, so God establishes these, these governments in different locations to meet different needs at different times in different contexts. Now, we're not all designed to be the same. It's the same Jesus. It's the same truth. But it's different expressions. Notice the final statement in verse 31. After going through all of this, Paul says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. What's he talking about? Well, that verse is right before 1 Corinthians 13, 1. That's the love chapter where it talks about love is patient, love is kind, and so on. So we've just talked about apostles, prophets, evangelists, miracles. Pastors, teachers, learning the Word of God, governments, leadership, pointing people to Christ. And all that's really exciting. We get excited when we hear about miracles and healings and and apostles, and we should. But Paul says, now after all that, I want to show you something even better. And that's love. It's interesting to me. We're in 1 Corinthians 12. Then there's the love chapter, 13. And then chapter 14 goes into how the gifts of the Spirit operate in the local church, how what to do in a church service. So we have ministry gifts and gifts of the Spirit, and smack dab in the middle of them is the best writing on love that's ever been written. So if we want the ministry gifts and if we want the spiritual gifts to operate correctly in the local church and the local expression of the universal church, that love must be right in the center of all of it.
So, you know, it's, it kind of goes back to what the disciples were, or what Jesus was talking about when the disciples were stopping people from casting out devils. Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. You know, we're not in competition with the other churches around here. We're partnering with them. In fact, we were looking at starting a uh, Celebrate Recovery program uh, to replace our AA group that, meets, that, we, that we let meet here. And, um, and I think Celebrate Recovery is an awesome program. It's a 12-step program, but it's, it's Christian-based. And so um, very effective from what I understand. So as we were investigating about it, I, I, I learned that the new pastor at Reno Baptist is, is working on starting one there. So we decided we better put ours on hold then because I don't want to do anything that's going to draw away from what he's doing there. In fact, the pastor that what's his name? I can't. Yeah. Adam. Pastor Adam at Reno uh, is a recovered drug addict, a, an addict that's been set, set free from drug addiction, and he's ministered in a rehabilitation program for years, and this is his first pastorate. So he's probably a lot better equipped than we are to, to do Celebrate Recovery. So I'm not going to do anything that's going to undermine what they're doing. So he doesn't know this yet, but I, I keep meaning to go and talk to him. You know, if we can, we're going to partner with him and help him. You know, if somebody's doing something and they can do it better than we can, then let's not compete with them. Let's just get behind them and say, hey, go, let's, let's work. How can we help you? You know, so we've got our community closet. I happen to believe nobody's going to be able to do it better than us. Praise God. And, I'm, and I, in fact, the pastor at First Baptist, I saw him at, at uh, Jade Garden one Sunday afternoon, and he had heard a rumor about what we were doing with the community closet. It was in the middle of us building the building, so I was telling him about what we're doing. And his wife spoke up, and he said, I would love to do something like that. Let us know how we can help you. That's the body of Christ. And so all of us, should be working together. All right. I'm only about halfway through my notes. Rather than going into the next section, because it's going to be a big section, let me just stop right here. Do you have any questions about the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, any of this, or observations or experience with any of this? Let's talk about it for just a minute, because some of this, some of you, you you've been probably just yawning, saying, I know all this, Pastor, but some of you, you know, you may have come from a church background to where you say, well, there's apostles and prophets. And you're like, what? You know, that's, that's, that's spooky stuff. It's only because we, the church world has made it spooky. You know, um, people will operate in these ministry gifts and won't even know what to call it. Right. Um, Jason Loper has, has been ministering in Kathmandu, Nepal for, I don't know, almost 20 years, I think. And they've built this massive theological school there, a Bible college and seminary there. And he's pursuing his doctorate now just because he's the president or chancellor or whatever the title is for that thing. And so he has to have that education. And so he's, 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 they're actually building the building right now. But you know what he is? He's an apostle. And he, because he's, he's gone in and started this new work. And now he's going to move into a pastoral and teacher role. He's raising up pastors and teachers around him. And then they're going to send them out into unreached people groups in Katman, or throughout Nepal, places where there's never been a witness of the gospel. That's apostolic work. But we just call him a missionary. So, comments, questions? Who would you call prophets today? That's a good question. Um,
Billy Graham was an evangelist. I don't think I would call him a prophet. And I know, I mean, I know he had the title evangelist, but I mean, from a biblical perspective, I would say he is probably one of the best modern day examples of an evangelist. Um, Well, that, and that's true. Well, that, that is true. That is, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. But yeah, he did have a prophetic mantle to speak to, to our government leaders. And one thing I loved about him was that he wasn't partisan at all. He, early on, he got a little bit partisan and kind of came back to bite him, and he learned from it. And from that point on, he was very careful that he would, he would spend as much time ministering to a Democrat as he would to a Republican. It didn't matter. In fact, it's, it's funny. This is a side note, but... Uh, they had two TVs in their, in their home, and Ruth Graham always watched Fox News, and Billy Graham always watched CNN. So, isn't that funny? So anyway, uh, so yeah, I would say that, I think you're right. I think he, he did have a prophetic mantle on him. Um, I, I definitely would say that David Wilkerson uh, was a prophet, and he's probably one of the best examples of a prophet today. Reinhard Bonnke is another example of an evangelist with, with, with miracles and healings happening. And, and we don't know as much about Reinhard Bonnke. He's a German evangelist, but he's actually, he's probably won about as many people to the Lord as Billy Graham. It's just all overseas. And he's, had, he's preached in meetings of, to a million people before in, South, in Africa. I'm sorry to say South Africa, but I'm not sure where it was in Africa. Um, those, and now, I know people that have prophetic mantles. Lynn Lawson is a friend of ours that's been here. He's a pastor, but he has a prophetic mantle on him. And I think he probably sits in the office of a prophet as well. But, uh, but he is also a pastor. You can, you can operate in more than one. Um, on a large scale, sometimes it's hard to tell. Um, so many of these guys that we see on Christian television, um, I, I, I have no patience anymore for them. And they'll claim those titles, but I don't see it. Um, and and, um, and I, I, won't, I won't name names, but... but um, the more I'm around people that work in obscurity, I realize that the celebrity ministers, by and large, are a facade. And, um, and I'm, saying that, I'm not saying they're not Christians or they're not sincere, but um, uh, it's, it's really frightening to see how superficial they are and what they're doing is. Um, so Reinhard Bonk would be a good example of an evangelist. Um, Tommy Barnett is, is an unusual one in that his primary role is an evangelist, but he's also a pastor at Phoenix First Assembly. And he has surrounded himself with pastoral, with, with, with people with the gift, a pastoral gift that disciple. And, and he is sort of the vision caster for the church, but boy, he is an evangelist through and through. And they win people to Christ like crazy in, in Phoenix, or at least they used to. I haven't heard much from them in a while. He's a He's actually a chancellor now at Southeastern. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. Teachers, um, Dudley, some of y'all may not know who this is. Dudley Hall is an, example, is an extraordinary example of a teacher. Um, he used to work with James Robinson years ago, and uh, he's absolutely extraordinary. And he's, it's so funny because he's quiet. I saw him one time on... on um, on TBN years ago, back in the Paul Crouch days. And I don't know if it was James Robinson or who it was, but there was somebody that was more gregarious there beside him that was just mouthy and loud and everything. 
And Dudley just kind of just sat back and listened. And then when he, when he leaned forward, he's real soft-spoken, soft soft Texas accent. He leaned forward and very calmly just added something to the conversation. And when he spoke, all, all heads went right to him. It's like he silenced everybody. And, and, and what he said had all of this weight to it, you know. And um, it was just, it was amazing just to watch this. And he's probably one of the best examples of a, of a modern day teacher. Richard Caesar. Yeah, Richard Caesar, man. Yeah, we're not worthy, so. Okay. Oh, I thought you were saying he was the best example of a teacher, so. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was agreeing. Yeah, question, go ahead. Yeah, well, the 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 event, or excuse me, the apostle is is breaking new territory, and that's where you see the most miracles. Um, you know, that's where the fighting is the most intense. To put it, to put it in a military metaphor, you know, is at the front lines, and and so that's where you see um, see the most vicious attacks, and you see the most dramatic things happen. That's where it's like two clouds bumping against each other and making thunder and lightning. You know. As two kingdoms bumping against each other, and so um, now I, I believe that we, and I haven't worked all this out in my own thinking here. But if you look at the different epochs of history throughout the Scripture, there's there are seasons it seems in Scripture to where when there's transition coming, that there's an increase in in miracles and dramatic things happening. Um, and so the ultimate example of that, obviously, is when Jesus comes and when the church is instituted in Acts. Now, I'm not saying that miracles are not for today. I believe they absolutely are. But I also believe that in periods of transition in history, there's an increase in it. You know, it's almost like tectonic plates shifting in the spirit. And, um, and so, you know, I think that, I think sometimes, like, I, you know, Billy Graham, I believe, was a genuine evangelist. Now, I can't tell you why. We didn't see miracles and things happen. I do know this story that that one time um, somebody got up in one of his meetings and prophesied a tongue and interpretation. And when Brother Graham got up, he said, uh, he said, this gentleman just shared with you the main points of my message. He said, I know that this was from God. Now, you know, I, I, I'm not going to speak for Brother Graham on where he stood on all that. But uh, I, I believe that bad teaching and, you know, and, our, and our, the, our backgrounds you know, sometimes can keep us from walking in the full manifestation of everything God has for us. But I also do believe that the environment in which we're working can affect that. If you ever go, if you ever go to Mexico, it is so easy to get people healed in Mexico. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's amazing. You just pray for them and miracles happen. Uh, Norman... Um, Jacobs, an elder at Christ Chapel, was a missionary there for a while. And, and I mean, biblical stuff. I mean, this guy prayed for this guy in Mexico with a withered hand. 
and prayed for him and commanded the hand to straighten out, and the hand just straightened out just like that. I mean, you know, it's so easy there. But, I mean, look at what they're living in there, you know? And so, so the environment has something to do. I don't, I don't know all the answers to that. But I do believe that as, as we see things uh, transition more and more, as the darkness gets darker in the U.S., uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of the miraculous. Um, I think we're going to see people delivered in very dramatic ways. Um, so, so, yeah, and we say, well, we want that. But do you really, really want to live in an environment where that happens all the time? Because, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an atmosphere of darkness where the light shines the most. And we, we read in the book of Acts about how wonderful all these things happen, was happening. But, I mean, they were persecuting. They were killing Christians. And, you know, and then God, would, God struck people dead for lying to the Holy Spirit. And, you know, there's, there's stuff that was really difficult about those days. And, and I want all of this, too. I'm just saying let's understand that if we ask for this, that there's a price. That there is a, there is a price of losing a lot of the comfort that we have. So we better make sure we're ready to pay that price. And um, so, anyway. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and to me, that's the, that's the miraculous thing that we just, that we just got. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if I haven't said it clearly enough, in fact, this is kind of the second half of the message, but, you know, you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And you can operate in ministry gifts and, and you know, different, the different giftings. There's another list of gifts that's more we would think of as mundane gifts, like the gifts of administration, the gift of mercy, the gift of giving. And those are spiritual gifts as well. It's just a different kind of spiritual gift. And so, you know, whether, what, whatever it is that God's called you to, he has the word gift in the Greek literally is, a, is charis, from which we get charisma, and it, it literally means grace. And so God has these graces for you, to, to, to give you the capacity to do what he's called you to. Um, and and sometimes, sometimes God will, will drop these things on you in the moment that you need it. You know, you say, you know, there's, there's times where, you know, in a very difficult moment, you need supernatural faith and you think, I couldn't live through that. But if you're in that moment, God gives you that gift of faith that you need to walk through it. You understand? God has everything you need to walk the path he set before you. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you for that. That's good. Yes. Uh, in the five-fold ministry, where would you place Oh, well, that's a good question. Uh, apostle. Yeah. I would say he's an apostle. Uh, he didn't plant a church or anything, as far as I know, but... Uh, um, huh? I'm sorry? He operated in a lot of different Yeah. Yeah. Smith Wigglesworth is an interesting guy, uh, if you've never read about him, and some amazing miracles. He, there was a woman that came up for him for prayer, had a tumor in her stomach, 
punched her right in the gut, knocked her flat on her back. And, you know, some of the leaders in the meeting were just really alarmed and coming up and, you know, so, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And he said, he, he said uh, you, you handle your business and let me handle, let me handle mine. He said, or let me let God handle mine or something like that. The woman got up and she was completely healed. Now, do not punch somebody in the altar if they come for prayer. Okay. Catherine Coleman, um, I would say she was an evangelist. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think she was an evangelist. And boy, the miraculous happened with her. All right, on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you can see that get perverted, perverted too, because um, Benny Hinn was a uh, protege of hers, yeah. and he's gone off the deep end. And um, uh, I won't say much about that. I believe I, I believe Benny Hinn started out sincere and legit, but he's off the deep end now. 